0: Chapter thirty-seven. Want to just look at a few verses in this chapter again tonight that we didn't get to last time. And verse twenty-three to twenty-six. Where it says, "The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old; yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed." So tonight I want to talk about the way. Of a good man. The way of a good man. It says the steps of a good man. Now, I don't know if you thought about this or noticed this. But the good the word good is in italics in our Bible. Which means it was added to complete the sentence or make sense in English. But it is a uh, an adjective which means it describes the man. It tells us what kind of man we're talking about. Um... And, you know, if we think of about a a good man, we're talking about, you know, Webster's, or uh, not Webster's, dictionary.com, describes good as morally excellent, virtuous, righteous, pious. And if you look up the word or the phrase, good man in the Bible, you come up with these verses. Psalm 112, verse 5, a good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. So he uses sound judgment, discernment. Uh, he's, he's a lent or giving person. That's a good man. A, Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaveth inheritance for his, to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So he leaves a goodly or a godly heritage. A good man. Uh, Matthew 12.35 a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So, again, a good man, uh, good things come from him and not evil. Luke twenty three fifty, speaking about a good man, this was, was the one who asked for the body of Jesus and put him put him in his own tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. It says, Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man, and a just he was a just man um, and then acts eleven twenty four says for he was a good man full of the holy ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the lord now who, who are we talking about there anybody know who we're talking about the bible says he was a good man full of the holy ghost and much people was added to the lord as a result of his ministry it was barnabas it was the church at Antioch, you know, the church at Jerusalem heard what was going on in Antioch, so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And it also says this about him, verse, the, the, the previous verse, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. So he was, he was a good man that he encouraged the saints, he challenged the saints to faithfulness and, and they, they would cleave or hold fast to the things of God. And, of course, we know that prior to this, Barnabas was the one who sold land. When there was, when there was a, a, a hardships in the church at Jerusalem, many had lost uh, their, their, their livelihood as a result of, of being saved and baptized. And, of course, there was also a dearth. But he had land. He sold it and brought the money and gave it to the apostles, and they distributed to those the poor that had need. He gave it all. He held nothing back. He he was a good man. Uh, A lot of good things are said about Barnabas in the Bible. So so when we're talking about a good man, this is the kind of man we're talking about. Uh, And as as we consider a good man tonight, we see first of all, a good man seeks the order of the Lord in his life. He seeks the order of the Lord in his life. Uh, And again in verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The word ordered means they are set or they are established, so he seeks to have the Lord set his direction in life to establish his life his his the kind of life he's going to live, what he's going to do you know, and all those kind of things Of course, this requires that we commit our works unto the Lord. it requires that we one, one commit our works unto the Lord and the word commit there proverbs sixteen three says that we are to that we are to commit our works on the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. And the, the word commit there has the idea we roll it on him. In other words, the responsibility of ordering or directing my life of a good man, it, he, he makes that, gives that responsibility to God. He lets God direct his life. He doesn't take it upon himself. Uh, he lets God. You know, think about it, Abraham. It was obvious, if, if you think about what Abraham did in his life, that Abraham was seeking the Lord to set the direction or to establish his life, his own life, and his offspring. Uh, he was willing to leave his homeland for a strange country that he'd never seen before. He didn't know what kind of people were there. Um, to go to a destination that he was not certain of. I know that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? We would think that's ridiculous, but that's what he did. He didn't know where he was going to end up. He just knew the Lord, that he was seeking the Lord. You know, he left Ur of the Chaldees. That was an idolatrous place, a land of idol worship. And so, you know, know, Abraham was obviously seeking for the Lord to direct his life, and the Lord directed him to leave there. So he left, not knowing where he was going. Now, when we say not knowing where he was going, he didn't know where he was going to end up, but I believe he knew where he was going day by day. I think the Lord directed him day by day. So he, he was seeking the mind of the Lord in everything. Uh, you know, We need to be seeking the, what is the mind of the Lord in our lives. At our, you know, whether it's at home or on job uh, and you know what is our attitude toward our God given responsibilities and opportunities that we have uh, so this is the idea of thinking that I want the Lord to set me or to establish me in his will for my life that's what we should do every day to direct my thoughts to delight in his work you notice Notice, you know, prior in the chapter, in, in verse 4, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. So, Abraham had a delight to do the will of God. He desired to do it. And so, we need we to direct our thoughts to delight in his work. And it was said of Abraham in Genesis 18, then, for I know him. The Lord said, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep. The way of the Lord, so Abraham you know, sought the Lord to order his life and then it was said of him that he would command his children after him to do the same, which they did which they did uh, so so you know this is what the a good man does. 1 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16 says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. So you're talking about a spiritual man, or we could say a good man here. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. In other words, he he examines all things, and he makes judgments based on the word of God, what God desires in his life. So he judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. So... You know, a, a spiritual man then judges or examines, you know, in one sense, we could be sa- it could be said of us and true that we are very judgmental. But you know what? Everybody is. They just judge different ways. I mean, liberals, though they may say, they're very open-minded. They're open-minded as long as you agree with them. They are very judgmental. Um, you know, not having any dress standards is 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 a judgment, just as much as having dress standards. I mean, you yeah. know. Anyway, but a spirit. So you know, we're not trying to be not saying we we need to be judgmental. You know what I mean? But but a spiritual person does judge everything. He examines everything in his life in light of the Word of God. Light of the word of God. And then uh, Paul went on to say there, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So, So if we judge or discern things or investigate things in light of the word of God, we then can have the mind of Christ for our life. Or, as the psalmist said here, have the Lord order our life. So a good man seeks to have the Lord order his life. A spiritual man or good man investigate what is the Lord's will in every situation. The word of God governs his life, not family, not friends, not finances. All those things didn't govern Abraham's life. God's will did govern his life. Again, Abraham sought the Lord to order his way to the point he didn't even know where he was going to, where the end of the journey would be. And this pleased the Lord. You know, Hebrews 11, 6 says, uh, um, yeah, I was going to quote it. How does it start? Somebody start it. Without faith, it is possible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. And then it starts your list. Well, that's in the list of those who God gave as examples of faith. And, of course, Abraham is one of the first ones. I believe his first one right after that verse. So this pleases the Lord. You see, if, if a good man, then number two is a delight to the Lord. He's the delight to the Lord. Notice verse 23 again says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. In other words, God delights in the way of a good man. That's the idea here. God delights in the way of a good man. God delighted in Abraham. And he gave evidence that he delighted in Abraham. He came to visit Abraham. In Genesis 18:1, it says, And the Lord came to Abraham in the plains of memory. And the word Lord there is capitalized. So, we believe it's a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, and also there was two angels came with him. There were three men appeared. And, and, you know, it says the angel of the Lord. And again, the Lord there was capitalized. When they went to Sodom to destroy Sodom and they came to Lot's house, the Lord wasn't with them. Just the two angels. But see, God delighted in Abraham. He delighted him. And because Abraham sought the Lord to order his, his way, God delighted in him. It pleased him. Spurgeon said this, quote, As parents are pleased with the tottering footsteps of their babes, all that concerns a saint is interesting to his heavenly father. God loves to view the holy strivings of a soul pressing forward to the skies. In the trials and joys of the faithful, Jesus has fellowship with them and delights to be their sympathizing companion, Unquote. See, God delights in a good man. God delighted in Job. He delighted in Joseph. He delighted in Daniel. You know, the Bible says that he found, they found favor or God brought them into favor. Daniel was called three times beloved of the Lord. See, Daniel was an example of a godly man that sought the Lord to continually order his life. And it didn't come without its tests and trials. But see, he was consistently seeking the Lord to order his life, even in a strange land. And so, when uh, the good man that that, the order, that uh, allows the Lord to order his life is a delight of the Lord, God delights in him. He delights in him. The third thing we see here is that this good man receive he will receive the aid of the Lord notice this, when he falls notice verse 24 though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand now I did not say if he falls, I said when he falls Psalm 103 verses 13 and 14 The Bible says this, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. So, God knows what we are. He knows that we're fallen sinful creatures. And he knows that we will fall. Now, there's a few there's a few characters in the Bible that I cannot recollect them falling into any sin. You know, nothing is ever said about Joseph that he ever did anything wrong, or Daniel. You know, there's a few others, uh, but for the most part, even the heroes that are in the ha- faith hall of fame, and even the you know, read about the heroes in the faith hall of fame in the Bible, and almost. Without exception, they fail at some point in their life. Many of them more than once. So again, you notice he says, though he fall. It's not if he falls, it's when he falls. Good men fall. Good men fail. And so, but the the good man, when he falls... He will receive the aid of the Lord. He will receive the la- the aid of the Lord. Um, you know, did did Abraham? You know, think about this. Did Abraham fall? Well, he gets he gets. You know, he he he, he gets. You know, even from the very beginning, I think he was. Not too sure. Maybe maybe he had some doubts. He took his father with him, and his father's name means delay. And he stopped it, picked up, and he, of course he took Lot with him also. And he you know he stopped uh, at a place along the way and dwelled there till his father died. Then he went on to the land of Canaan. So it was like he kind of delayed his journey. He was he was just a little you know. Maybe just not so sure about this and uh, just a little slow at at doing it. It was a great step of faith. Of course, he gets into the land. There's a famine. And God says, you know, he gets to the land and God said, this is the place right here. This is where I want you to dwell. Look to the east, the west, the north, and the south. All this land will I give it to you and to your children after you. So this is the land. And the famine comes. We all know what he did. He went to Egypt. He fell. He went to Egypt. Um, he comes back to the land, and again God, you know, gives him assurance that this is the place. And there's another famine. He goes to Bimelech. So, you know, Abraham fell. He he did fall. You know, David. We all know David fell. David fell hard. Uh, Peter, did Peter fall? (laughs) Yeah, Peter fell. Peter fell hard. We see, though they fall, he shall not utterly be cast down. See, God, God doesn't forsake his children when they fall. Doesn't forsake them. Spurgeon again says this: "God upholds us saints; He does not lead them to mere delegated agency; He affords personal assistance. Even in our falls, the Lord gives a measure of sustaining. Where grace does not keep from going down, it shall save from keeping down." Job had a double wealth at last. Joseph reigned over Egypt. Jonah was safely landed. It is not that the saints are strong or wise or meritorious, that therefore they rise after every fall, but because God is their helper, and therefore none can prevail against them." And, and so, you know, though a good man fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him. You know, J- David, David, in several of the Psalms, talked about being cast down. For example, in Psalm 42, verse 11, he says, And why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. And then again, in chapter 43, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and and my God, you know, so he though there was times he was cast down, yet he didn't stay down, cause the Lord upheld him. The Lord upheld him. You know, even in the times of great distress, you know, the Lord would sustain. You remember when, when David um, went to King Achish and Achish gave him Ziklag and so from Ziklag he'd go out and make raids around the surrounding places and he would, he would kill everybody in the towns so nobody could escape to tell and then carry off the loot. And he'd go back to Achish and Achish and say well where would you make a raid today David? Well in the south of Judah. South of Jeremites, you know, he he would always tell them someplace else. And then, Cork Achis is going to go to war against Saul, Acha's King of Philistines. He's going to go to war against the, the children of Israel. And so David goes, is is expected to go with him, but the princes said, nah, not this guy. And then, you know, when he goes so they send him back, he's going back to Ziklag. when he gets back to Ziklag, it's been burned. And all his loot carried off. And his men were thinking about stoning him. He got himself in a pickle, is what he did. But the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. You see, the Lord upholded him with his hands. You know, and there are other instances in David's life, when, of course, you know, when because of his sin with with Bathsheba, uh, he, he he you know was on the brinks of losing the kingdom to Absalom. But again, God upholdeth him, but it, it did come with a cost. But God did sustain him and uphold him, uh, that the enemy did not prevail against him. Uh, Continuously. So, so, it's not if we fall, it's when we fall. You know, somebody said, God doesn't kick us when we're down. He may convict us. He, he, you know, he will chasten us to bring us back to himself. But he, he doesn't kick us when we're down. So, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And then we see, fourthly, there's a faithful promise that God gives to his saints. And that's in verse 25. It says, I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Yeah, so, th- so here he gives us a faithful promise. David says, I've been young. And, you know, he was the uh, sweet psalmist of Israel, played it on his harp when he was young, played the godly music that drove the demons out of Saul and and, and brought him into a good frame of mind and so on and so forth. And uh, he was a godly young man. But he said, now I'm old. Now I'm an old man. But he said, one thing I can say. I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Now, that does not mean we will not have trials. That does not mean that life is going to be easy. We do live in a sin-cursed world. Trials, some are simply allowed into our lives to test us To reveal ourselves to ourselves. Others we bring on ourselves. You know, Abraham experienced both kinds. Uh, You know, he went to Egypt. Again, that was a test that God brought into his life to reveal himself to himself. But when he went to Egypt, because he went to Egypt, he brought trials into his life as a result. You know the trial, the, the 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 famine was a trial, a test, to reveal Abraham's faith. Abraham flunked it. He went to Egypt. And in Egypt, he picked up Hagar, which brought more trials into his life, more hardships. Uh, But, you know, God again tested him later on with Isaac when he said, Offer Isaac, your only son. Abraham saddled his donkey, got Isaac his son, the wood and the fire, and headed for the mountain that the Lord said to offer him on. Uh, He... And God was again testing him to to reveal Himself to Himself, and of course he passed that test. You know, David was tried. Um, you know, his fleeing from Saul was a trial, and for the a great period of time, he trusted God. He he would not go to the enemy and dwell with the enemy. Uh, he would you know, hide in the wilderness and so on and he trusted God to protect him but at one point he said well you know one of these days Saul's going to get me so I may as well go to the Philistines so again when he went to the Philistines what did he bring into his life he brought more trials <laughs> he brought more trials into his life because he failed Yeah, God hadn't. It was Samuel who God told to anoint David to be the next king. If God said, You're going to be the king, you are going to be the king. Go to Matthew chapter 14. There's one in the New Testament, lots of them in the New Testament as well. Matthew 14. You know, David would say this if he would have thought of penning it. You know, he said, I am young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor seed and pagan bread. But David could have said, "You, But you know, I've seen in my life when I forsook the Lord and didn't follow him, didn't allow him to order my life. And I went to Achish, king of Gath. Abraham would say, You know, I, I, I forsook the Lord, I didn't allow him to order my life, I went to Egypt. But God didn't forsake me. Uh, and here in Matthew 14, in verse 22, again it says, And straightway Jesus constrained. That word constrained, we learned from the other day, speaks of to compel. And the idea really is it's like he pushed or compelled them, his disciples, to get into a ship and to go before him on the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He just fed the multitudes. They are, you know, the question we would ask is Are they in the will of God? And the answer is yes. Jesus sent them there. And yet they're in danger of their lives from their perspective. But it was where Jesus sent them. You know, sometimes obeying the Lord puts us at great peril. Think about Paul's life. It was always in peril. It was always in peril. And here they're in peril for their lives from their perspective, from a human standpoint. They are in peril of their lives, but it's where Jesus sent them. And then he comes walking to them on the sea. And he says... Be of good cheer. It's eye, right. Be not afraid. You know, we really shouldn't be afraid to go or do what the Lord orders us. You know, I remember we had a missionary visit a church in Maine. He gave this illustration I'll never forget. He blindfolded a boy, and then he stood him on, it was like a bookshelf, about just high. He had him stand up there on it. And then he said, and what he did was, he said, now, will you do what I say? He said, I promise you will not get hurt. And we said, okay, I'll do it. So he keeps talking to him. He said, now, I told you that you would not get hurt, right? He said, yes. And I promise you, you will not hurt, but you will do what I say, yes. And he keeps moving away. Well, he told me to go behind the boy. While he's talking to the boy, he's walking away. And then he tells the boy just to fall over backwards. And that little kid just did. I mean, he just went like that. Of course, I was there and caught him, you know, but he didn't know I was there. That's faith. That is faith. You see, he could have thought that he, I'm in peril. Either he doesn't think or, you know, uh, or he knew that he could get hurt. He knew he was up on a shelf off the floor. He knew he wasn't standing on the floor. You know, sometimes obeying the will of the Lord appears to us to put us in great peril. Go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And uh, verse 10 says and after he had seen the vision of course Paul gets this vision they're 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 discerning or trying to judge where God wants them to go now and they had determined they decided to go into um Asia but they were forbidden the spirit of God said no they wanted to go into Asia and Bithynia but the spirit again suffered them not and, and then it says in verse 9, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we, we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath... We went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple, in the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. When she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained them. Everything's going great so far, right? Verse 16 came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit and divination, met us, which brought her masters much gained by soothsayings. The same followed Paul, us, cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned to the spirit, said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her at the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas, drew them into the marketplace under the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes, commanded to beat them. When they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So, are they in the will of God now? Yeah, they are. They are. So, why is this happening? Do you, you ever do that? You know, you're in a trial and you say, Why is this happening? We, all, we probably all do it. I know I do. Sometimes I say, "Why is this happening?" You know, we were there for a while. We were having quite a lot of discussions with neighbors. were having marital problems, and and you know, I said to myself, "Who do they think we are?" And I thought about that, and I thought, "Dummy, that's what you're here for—to be a witness." Uh, you know, sometimes we wonder why. You know, why is this happening to us? But like Paul Harvey used to say, and probably none of you remember Paul Harvey or ever heard Paul Harvey, but Paul Harvey had this thing called the rest of the story. Read the rest of the story and you'll know why this happened. A Philippian jailer, Pastor Webb went over this the other night in evangelism class, and he said, jailers weren't known to be nice guys. Um, You know, They would be very rough guys. And but this flip there's a Philippian jailer who's going to get saved as a result of Paul being in jail where the Lord was the Lord's will for him to be. Now that doesn't sound very exciting to us, does it? But it brought, but see, this brought glory. To God. This trial. But we have this promise. You know. In John 14. John 14.18. When Jesus is about to leave his disciples. To be crucified. And they're sorrowful. Because of it. But he tells them this. John 14.18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. You know, he's talking about he's going to send the Comforter or the Holy Spirit to come to them after he leaves. And of course, Paul, I believe it was Paul, wrote the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, we have this promise in the New Testament like David of old. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said... I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So it may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You see, again, never forsake does not mean life is without trials. For in our trials, God's power and glory can be manifested unlike other times. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, concerning his infirmities, he said, you know, God allow them that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, therefore, I will glory in infirmities. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, and Peter talked a lot about trials. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he um, Verse five, he says, "Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not yet believing." You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Then in chapter 4 and verse 14, he says this, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. That's what Psalm 4, Psalm 4, 2 through 4. Psalm 4, 2 through 4. It says, O ye son of man, how long will you turn my glory into shame? You see, and how love will you love vanity and seek after leasing? And leasing is really lying. So, and the Bible says, if you. If you don't believe God, you make him a liar. So you, if you don't believe God, you're, you're believing a lie. And, and so what he's saying here is that when we don't trust God in our trials, we fail to glorify God, we bring shame to his name. You know, really, when Abraham went to Egypt, he brought reproach to God's name in Egypt. Because he lied. And they knew he lied. They knew he lied. They all knew it. He lied to Abimelech. Again, he brought reproach to God's name before Abimelech. Even though they still recognized that he was a goodly man, that he had a relationship with God. They they spoke of it. In fact, God spoke to them very plainly about how you treat Abraham. Don't you touch his wife. Yeah. And yet he brought, he didn't bring glory. But when he offered Isaac, he brought glory to God. You think about the trials of the children of Israel and how they magnified the power and glory of God to all the nations around them and the nations that were living in Canaan at that time. And it caused those nations to fear God. They were afraid of God. They were afraid of his people. Remember what Rahab told you? We are when we heard all the things that happened in Egypt, our hearts did melt. Our hearts melted. You know, the reason Jericho was shut up was because they were afraid. They were afraid of a bunch of men who had just been circumcised. Think of it. They were afraid. Cuz they had heard what God did to the Egyptians. They had heard how God divided the Red Sea. He said they had heard how God kept his promises to his children. They'd heard it. And they were afraid. In fact the Lord told Moses Deuteronomy eleven twenty five. there shall no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon as he has said unto you. And you know, these, these men were afraid to go in and possess the land because there was giants in there. And when they get in there, Rahab says, we're all afraid of you. We're all afraid of you. Why? Because the Lord will not forsake his own. He will uphold his own. He will keep his promises to his own. Even though those own, we his own, are not perfect. Even though we fall, he will not utterly cast us down, but he will uphold us with his hand. You know, these are precious promises that God gives to us. To a good man. You know, a good man, of course, we refer to a saved man. That seeks to, to the Lord to direct and guide his life. Oh, we need to delight. We need to seek for the Lord to order our lives That he might delight in us and that he might be glorified in us and through us. He will keep his promises to us. Yeah. We need to be faithful to him. Knowing that he will be faithful to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge and encouragement that it gives to us as your people. Oh Lord, we live in a day of a great falling away, an apostasy, but yet, Father, you've challenged us and encouraged us with your promises to be faithful till you come for us. So, Lord, I pray that you help us just to be faithful. Uh, help us to allow you to order our lives For our good and for thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name.